Hey y'all, it's uh, it's Garrett again, uh, popping in before the podcast. Uh, sorry to keep interrupting your show like this, but I I just wanted to say a quick piece here. I you know we're still trying to work out the kink, so if it sounds a little little strange on this one, uh, you know I apologize. We're still kind of kind of figuring that out. Uh, it'll get better. I, I promise it'll improve. And uh, you know on 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 top of that too, uh, there's a little bit of music, a little bit of bouncing around in the second half. Uh, you know, the boys unfortunately have a uh, a new roommate kind of to the north of them that uh, likes likes to party a little bit. I'll say that I don't want to name names, get everybody in hot water, but um, yeah, they they were having a good time. You can kind of hear that on the on the show a little bit. Just wanted to you know say sorry for that. We're doing our best to keep things uh, you know on the up and up, looking looking and sounding good on the podcast here so you know don't want to take up any more of your time but you, you you guys you guys enjoy the show okay okay all right gear it out bye What's up, guys? Welcome back to Director Showdown, uh, Season 3, Episode 4. Uh, it's uh, your good old buddy Brent here. And Adam. Hey, how's it going, guys? Um, so, yeah, we are back at it again, fresh from... Uh, I feel like that's our signature, like... Uh, opening? Yeah. Opening. <laughs> back at it again. Back, back at it again. Still in hell. Still in hell, guys. Nothing's changed. Nothing, uh, yeah, nothing's changed. Uh, the but? Mic, the mics look a little bit different, I think I noticed. Yeah, while you were sleeping, I went to the um, the Hell's uh, Sharper Image. Oh, and okay. remember? Like, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I went and uh, grabbed a pair of these compressor mics. It was a, it was a hell of a deal. Hey, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You know, exchanged, uh, but that unfortunately like uh, cost us our whole budget that we had here in hell. Oh, the hell bucks that we earned. Yeah, the hell bucks. Well, yeah, I mean, hopefully they sound pretty good. Um, mm. You know, I don't know what else we really would have uh, spent them on. Um, yeah, seriously, uh, they just keep keep giving us like beers for free, which is kind of nice. Yeah, these uh, tasty, warm uh, <laughs> Miller Miller High Lifes. Yeah, um, always good. Uh, yeah, what we what we watched today, Adam? The uh, 2003 classic um, "I Am David" by directed by Paul Feig, written for the, the screen, screen. Yeah, that's by important. Paul Feig. His uh, adaptation of the novel "I Am David." Yeah, yeah. his uh, directorial debut. Uh, so kind of an odd, interesting, strange pick <laughs> for, uh, his very first directorial 
uh, choice here is first movie. Well, you know, that's just what the the that's just the selection of VHSs that we had here. Yeah. You know, if if it would if it was up to me, it would be bridesmaids, and probably that's it. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, we were given what we were given, and yep. uh, man, I was caught off guard looking at the cover here. Uh, we've got the VHS in front of us. It's in one of those uh, little plastic. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever had those VHS tapes that were in like the weird plastic thing where you had to like squeeze the sides to get. The, oh my god. Right? <laughs> That's but, right. Yeah, yeah. No, here, hold it. it. It's it, weird because wow. it's one of those, is, and it's really strange because because uh, you, you take your you take your brother and your mom will drive you over to Blockbuster. Yep. And uh, says, hey, you know, get get the get the I am David um, mm-hmm. movie. Let's let's rent uh, I am David. Uh, this you know, Jim Caviezel on the front. Exactly, and <laughs> even on the front of this VHS box, it. Uh, has him featured prominently. It's his big old face on it. And yeah, and I theorized that uh, it was due to these, you know, financial success uh, and critical success of uh, his film uh, Passion of the Christ. Right. And that's really not the case. It's because, well, I don't know why, but uh, that came out a year after I Am David. Which was what, 2004 then? I guess. 2004 yeah. is when it came out, yeah. Um, so, in case, I'm pretty sure most of our listeners, and I don't know why a listener would uh, download this particular episode, because yeah. I've never heard of this film until yeah. uh, this scene, this, this, until we uh, ended up here in hell. In hell. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, that's for good reason, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and just to yeah. let you know... Um, yeah, what's what the, you got a little IMDb? About? Well, you're getting yeah, to it. I yeah. Interrupted. yeah, it's okay. <laughs> um, it, you know, you, these very conveniently placed uh, pamphlets out here, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. This one is given to us by uh, Reptile Patrol, which is a cool-ass username. What, say that again? Reptile Patrol. Hey, that's pretty fucking cool. That's a, I yeah. want to know everything about what <laughs> Reptile Patrol is. And he it. decided to do a, a plot summary on IMDb. We appreciate you, Reptile Patrol. So thank you, Reptile Patrol. I hope you're patrolling those reptiles up there in the in. Hope you're killing it, keeping <laughs> them in in lockdown. Yep. <laughs> um, a 12 year old boy escapes from a Bulgarian communist concentration camp and sets out on a journey to reach Denmark. There you go. That's all you need to know. He's right. So it does say it's a communist. Com- see, com- oh. see, that's the thing that we didn't understand at first. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, I think we went into this movie thinking it was, like, some Nazi, like, World War II concentration camp thing. And mm-hmm. little old David's, like, a Jew. But he's not, I don't think. No, his, uh, his parents pris- were, prisoner, yeah, right? his parents were commies, I guess. No, they weren't commies. Oh. So they disagreed with communism. And oh, so, shit. like, okay. they, were, they were political prisoners at the concentration camp. Because people, I mean, like... I feel like this should be common knowledge, and I hope it is, but Stalin killed many people, mm-hmm. like millions of people. Yeah. And uh, not to say that the Holocaust was uh, not terrible, mm-hmm. but let's not forget the genocide that Stalin did yeah. did do, and I guess this movie is trying to bring that to light in a very poor way. Yeah, in a I'm very uh, sloppy, messy way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's interesting because uh, there's you know a couple of opening title cards that explain what's happening. And yeah, I was thrown when it said 
after World War II. Like, this is after when World War II happened. Um, And so it took me a while to, like, get my bearings. And I still don't even know if, like, I have them as far as, like... You lost a long time ago, friend. (laughs) Yeah, like, what's going on, like, historically at this time? Um, Yeah, I mean, I guess... I guess he made me intrigued for uh, like to read up on this, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what was happening in uh, in Europe at this time, kind of after World War II, but when people were still being, you know, put in camps and things like that. Mm-hmm. He really doesn't expand on that very much. It's just uh, no, it's a brief. It, it was it was covered by the exposition text at the beginning, mm-hmm. the first minute. Let's talk about the opening. <laughs> A little bit because man, this movie really opens up with uh, just starting off on the wrong foot. Oh, I mean, boy. I have nothing against title cards. Like fucking Blade Runner has title cards. Like good movies can have title cards. That's whatever. But then this movie really just dives right into um, voiceover narration of this kid, this mm. kid's escape, and uh, just constant, constant um, uh, voiceover explaining like. How like what this kid's gonna do? How he's gonna escape? And actually thinking about it more, I guess narratively that comes back because there is a bit of a payoff on, you know, the person narrating. I guess uh, I don't want to spoil 2003's <laughs> I Am David for anybody uh, who hasn't seen it. And you know, after this, I'm sure we'll definitely want to watch this film. But um, yeah, it starts off on a really weird foot like we both kind of caught on to like how strange kind of the beginning was right oh yeah i mean this kid is trying to escape this concentration camp Mm -hmm. and it looks all bleak but what was very an interesting way of going about this was that he was essentially the uh, a a child version of splinter cell or solid snake (laughs) or um, Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible because oh boy, it was like a spy movie trying to escape a prison. Like even even the score had like you know the the bass you know bass guitar was kind of like and it's like it's hard to take seriously because you're like it's a fucking concentration camp. Yeah, and it's just like it's not it's not a spy movie. Like, <laughs> I don't. It well, was just my, really my jarring thing, with that. Yeah, my big thing was um, it felt strange because that's a weird way to start the movie. Yeah. And I think that continues throughout the rest of the movie. And I, I haven't read the book. I don't know anything about the book or the structure of the book that this is based on. But it's just a weird way to start where you're starting with this escape before this char- like the, the character of David has been developed at all. Yeah, you don't even know who this kid is. Like, he just yeah. kind of starts escaping. And I, I think it. that's one of the big faults of the movie, too, is that um, that I think he just expects you to feel for the character David because of his circumstances. Yeah, drive that home right now. Like, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's frustrating because very little, even throughout the rest of the movie, um, I think Paul Fee wants to utilize kind of where he's coming from in his background uh kind of leveraging that as character development and it's 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 hard to argue why uh you know a concentration camp doesn't give a character enough um uh agency or background or something like that but you you really do or need to, a to little create, bit more create empathy yeah because and, and 
Yeah, and I think I think if he was a better director, then maybe that could have worked. Like seeing maybe more of the circumstances or this kid being uh like taken advantage of and abused and things like that in this camp, then maybe that could have worked. But the fact that we start off on this foot and even throughout really the entire rest of the movie, there's this kid is not developed anymore, so we don't really care about his journey very much. Right. And that becomes that becomes uh, a huge like problem. Well, I think what what we also need to emphasize is that I think this movie, you looked it up, it was a PG movie. Yeah, that's important for sure. It's supposed to be marketed towards children. I'm guessing. Yeah, well, it's it's really interesting because I'm just now kind of processing this now. But Walden Media put this out, Mm. and at the time, um, 2003. So. Like a little bit of context, the Lord of the Rings movies were huge. They were really, really big. Uh, Walden Media, I think, really seized that opportunity and started making the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe movies. And that that's like where I know their name from. Mm. And so those movies, I think, were very kid friendly too. I think they tried to do more of a Lord of the Rings for kids based on those books, and those are very good books. Uh, But I think that company is kind of more of a, a kids like aimed at kids when it comes to putting out movies but i feel like chronicles of narnia more effectively conveyed the horrors of the london bombings yeah that's (laughs) this movie this movie it does yeah like you can still do it for children and still convey those um yeah sense of empathy because like children they don't they don't understand they're 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 new to earth so it's like they have no understanding of like world war ii or history or any context so it's like you can't just have this child like in this concentration camp Mm -hmm. and then expect like children to give a shit about this yeah yeah well that's that's really interesting too because i think context is key here because he's leveraging the context too much he it's almost like he expects yeah like you expect uh, like it's really interesting because like who is this movie for? Right. Because like kids are not going to have the context to be able to take that into this movie and know why this kid is question like why this kid believes that humanity is mostly bad. Right. Like they hit they hit on that a couple times in the movie it's where this a, kid a theme yeah yeah it's kind of a theme of it where uh, well that's his character arc like he believes that everyone's shitty and then yeah. by the end of the film he's like oh there's good people in the world. Exactly, and I think if it's really strange, dude, because when I was watching it, I was like, "This movie's PG." That's weird because, like, who's gonna take their kid to see this, and like, whose kid is actually going to, I guess, relate to this kid? Right. I don't know. It's it's just like it's really muddled, and I think really unsuccessful in in uh, creating like kind of empathy and and caring about the lead character. Mm-hmm. It is. It's hard to even even when you have the the context of concentration camps, mm-hmm. and still not give a shit. That is alarming. You know, like yeah. that goes to show how Paul Feig is incredibly incompetent. When you kn- yeah. when even like you and I have context of how horrible these concentration camps can be, mm-hmm. we still. Don't give a shit about this David kid, mm-hmm. and that's because of how it was filmed and and the structural yeah. the structure of the film. 
Like, we have no idea what David experienced. We have no idea. Like, David's reaction to everything was more so just silence and just saying everyone's bad as opposed to, like, an emotional, like, mm -hmm. um, release of his situation. Yeah, you know? exactly. And he's just running away because we're supposed to just somehow accept that the concentration camp is bad. And we all know that. Uh -huh. But still, it doesn't mean that but we you have to. Yeah, you have to, like, visually... Convey it. Uh, convey it in the yeah. movie and that actually leads like perfectly into another issue i have with this and kind of all of his movies that i've seen so far is that uh he's he's terrible at getting uh his intent across uh because there are so many scenes where like after the fact like i had to be like wait is that is does that what does that mean like why why is he doing that mm -hmm. and then it's almost like a fucking puzzle you have to put together because even just from scene to scene, he's not good at conveying, like, the intent of, like, why is this kid running into this guy? Mm -hmm. uh, who's this new character that he's meeting? Um, yeah, it's just he's, he's not yeah, a good visual director it's at all. Very, um, it's very plot-driven, mm -hmm. the movie. Like, and that's what's really wrong with it. Because something like, when you're trying to say that this kid is supposed to learn that you know, not everyone is terrible. Like, that's his, yeah. that's like, that's the lesson you're supposed to take away from this film. Uh -huh. And when you, like, have that as your takeaway, and yet have every beat be um, plot driven, and I'll, and then what I mean by that is that the first, the second act, I guess, when he escapes the, well, I guess it's still part of the first act, but uh -huh. when he escapes and he's traveling through Italy, yeah. he's just randomly bumping into people. Yeah. And, and these and totally don't. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't. It's not consistent at all. Yeah. It's really strange. Um, I, I know you and I talked about after we watched it like that. How how Spielberg could have taken I think this movie and like really hit it like really hit um, a lot of the emotional beats a lot better. Yeah. But actually, in thinking about it now, I think it could have been really interesting to see somebody like uh, like Richard Linklater do a movie like this because I think <laughs> I think what probably Why, yeah. I'm extrapolating a lot but I think what probably happened in the book is there were a lot of scenes with the kid interacting with people like throughout his kind of journey in escaping and to trying to get to Denmark and we see hints of that like at the end when he meets the older lady um, mm -hmm. and I, I think that a director like him could have really because like he he really his strengths are in conversation and I think that he could have really, like, lifted those and, like, actually gotten something from those, like, conversation scenes other than, uh, I like bread, you like the Virgin Mary, like, all this, like, weird empty shit that doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. Like, the, like those scenes should have meant something if we were going to track this character's arc, like, to yeah. where it eventually goes. That's why the payoff doesn't really land, mm -hmm. you know? So. Because if... if uh... I don't know. It's just I could I could see why. Like when he first gets on this ship that he's trying to he get he gets out of the concentration camp. He goes on the ship, mm -hmm. and then he he's in there, and then he bumps into Italian boy Roberto. I guess his name right. His name is Roberto. It is. And uh, he's like, oh, scusi, uh, you're not supposed to be on the ship. Uh huh. And then he's like, oh, here's this knife, and then. He's like, all right, well, I'm, I won't report you. And that's it. Yeah. Um, you could have... The problem is that it could have been conveyed better if it was... If 
David was hesitant and was like, you know, like, like draw out that scene more. Yes. And absolutely. make that to where like this guy is a legit threat to yeah. him because based on the context that David has is that everyone's terrible. Uh-huh. So like you could have done that scene so much better when absolutely, it was quickly yeah. resolved with David giving this Roberto guy a knife. Uh-huh. And then it's done and he just he helps him out. Yeah. It, it, it's it, it, yeah he doesn't know how to do uh drama or tension yeah. like at all and for making a, a drama movie which this like pretty much is um it's really unsuccessful in those moments that you like yeah like it's it's all there mm. but like he does not capitalize because i feel it like the all. book does it probably does good yeah. job probably yeah. does yeah because like you then he goes he goes out and then he um, he's going on. He does a bread thing yeah. where he bumps into man. Yeah. And the, and that could have been done more interesting too because it's like oh he acts like a good person but he's actually an asshole sort of thing. Yeah. Because he reports David to the officers and they try to get him. Yeah. And then after that, this <laughs> is like he keeps bumping into people. And then after that, he yeah, he I think he finds the. Um, it turns the, into slacker there for like 30, 40 minutes, but without any of the interesting conversations. Right. It's like so weird. It's yeah. so fucking weird. So after that, he somehow finds like, um, oh, this is a pointless scene when he goes and bumps an old lady. And then she's like, you got to deliver the wine to the people. Yeah. And then he yeah. just does it. And then the woman's like, fuck off and here's some money. Yeah. Remember, remember that part? Well, it's it's weird because that's when it gets so plot driven yeah. that it becomes detrimental. Because like Fetch this, this guy, yeah. exactly, like this guy sets up that uh, you know, oh, to get bread, to get food, it costs money, and then that's the next like thirty to forty minutes in the movie. Getting money, it's this kid like yeah, stumbling into people through like insanely convenient means. Like it makes J.J. Abrams look like fucking. Uh, I don't know, like Kubrick, Kubrick or something. <laughs> like it's it's insane, like how convenient these like contrived little plot points are. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, all to get money so that he can eventually get food. And I I I bet that like in the book that those, and that's kind of what I meant when I said uh, Linklater is that I bet those meetings with the people were more meaty. Like there's more to them and they're more nuanced. And, yeah, more nuanced and, and make him understand. Things. Yeah, he learns that. Maybe yeah. people aren't so terrible. Exactly. Sort of thing. But instead, he like holds off on that for probably an hour until mm-hmm. kind of all that stuff really starts coming into play, mm-hmm. you know, that far in. Because you just don't give a shit about the people that, about all those yeah. scenes that he just bumps into. Yeah, exactly. It's just things are just happening mm-hmm. and yeah, you don't really understand the purpose of them. And then finally, I guess just to top, top everything off here. Mm-hmm. He finally bumps into, again, he just, like, wa- he wanders into mm-hmm. this meadow, and then he finds, um... I want to well, give credit where credit's due, because yeah. this actress, uh, callback to Dennis the Menace. Dennis she was Menace. in that as well. And she was amazing in this. Yeah, she was a solid point of that. Uh, Joan Plowright. Yeah. Uh, who was married to Lawrence Olivier, I actually found out, which is interesting. And mm. she's been in, yeah, a ton of movies, and she's, like, an amazing actress. Yeah. 
She's like, so adorable. I, I felt her. like when <laughs> she showed up in this movie and they started talking in that, that little vineyard and painting and stuff, I felt like somebody put like a warm blanket on me. It's like, on protect like a me from the cold. Yeah. yeah, like somebody like brought me in from the darkness, the dark cold, and like put a blanket oh, on me and was like, you're okay now. Because yeah. like, fuck, man, the movie is like, I won't say it's like good from here on out, but it feels almost like a different movie. It feels so different. It, it's almost jarring yeah. in like the scenes that David and uh, I think her name is Sophie, Sophie in the movie have. And she's um, um she's an artist and she was mm-hmm. painting and um she's like, Oh, okay, I paid David and mm-hmm. then they have this, you know, they have this uh really cool relationship, mm-hmm. you know. And it was actually this is what I was like, this is what you were supposed to do. Like yeah. with everybody else, exactly. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. and it, it's actually a very like, like she's, she, she's um, very sympathetic and warm, and mm-hmm. it's just like it elevates this movie from everything else. You know Absolutely, that interaction, yeah. and I was like, remember how I told you, like, just make this the whole movie. Yeah, exactly. Just, just have, just have like David run into this lady yeah. at like the ten minute mark. And then just have their, like, delightful little relationship as, like, mm-hmm. she helps him mm-hmm. get to... I, I know that's, like, shitting on the book. I'm sure the book does a lot of shit way better than this movie. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it really, like, elevates the movie at that point. And, and maybe, like, taking all that stuff after, you know, David meets her, uh, forgetting all the stuff before, maybe, like, that, can like you said, like, conditioned us to, like, to think this is amazing when, like, yeah. maybe it's not incredible... But I think all that stuff really works, though. Yeah. Like, all the stuff um, with her. And, uh, yeah, and she's, like, a great actress and, like, mm-hmm. just feels so, like, warm and inviting. Um, but, yeah, so then, obviously, she's not a terrible person. And uh, then she helps she helps uh, find David's mom. And then, in, you know, the, movie's end, the movie ends. Like, that's it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, there's a little twist in there that we won't spoil for all you, uh, you know people who haven't seen i am david yet you still want to go um the uh the bulgarian <laughs> officer is actually helping david out and that's a spoiler yeah and he killed jim caviezel because yeah, jim caviezel, caviezel tried caviezel. to save david <laughs> <laughs> it's like fucking good it just fucking <laughs> gives a shit um but yeah so do you have any uh, trivia about this film the very um, limited amount uh very uh pretty much the answer to that is no because nobody fucking anywhere wrote any trivia to this um, I do want to mention that I thought this was kind of funny, uh, especially the way this is written on Wikipedia. That's where I'm looking on the movie's page. Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, so the film won several awards in 2003. It's being a little kind and generous, I think, because I think that's a lie. Uh, inc- I think Paul Feig wrote that. I think he's an editor on Wikipedia. <laughs> he's like, he put the edit. It's like last edit yeah. by Paul, Paul underscore Feig. Yeah. Uh, including the Crystal Heart Award in the Heartland Heartland Film Festival, the Queen's Festival's Best Feature Film Prize, wow, and Best Film and Most Promising Actor for Ben Tibber, the kid. Well, that's a bunch of bullshit. And here's the punchline. Ben Tibber never acted in a feature film again. Well, that's not a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) I just love how it's written because it's Most Promising Actor and he never acted again ever. Like, that's that's Because if there's one thing... yes. We can yeah. say about this is that David, the guy, the kid who played David, he wasn't good. The kid is very bad, and I kept yeah. thinking about um, 
the boy in the striped pajamas when I was watching this. Have you ever seen that? No, I always wanted. To it's uh, it's a it's a Holocaust movie, like an actual like in a proper Holocaust, yeah, pro- kind of proper Holocaust movie. <laughs> um, with uh, oh man, I'm gonna have to look up his name. But the kid who's also in Ender's Game, yeah, okay. I'm forgetting his yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. He was almost Spider Man, I think, too. Um, he yeah he plays this real like much younger than david i think i think he's like seven right and that like he's so good in that movie at conveying like it it pretty much is a reactionary role where like he's reacting to all the dark terrible stuff that he's seeing Mm -hmm. um or wait i think i'm no actually yeah because he's a uh, a nazi soldier's son Oh, so and he's he observing. Deb- yeah, and he's observing. He becomes friends with this kid who's uh, a in a concentration camp. Prisoner, yeah. yeah. And, like, just thinking about that, like, this kid in uh, I Am David just is kind of nothing, man. Like, and he's another black of, hole, yeah. Yeah, like, and a lot of that, I feel like, is probably contributed to the direction. Because I feel like Absolutely. the director's role, like, like, I'm sure the kid in... I'm going to pull like a little flashback to season one, uh, Close Encounters. That kid, I'm sure, because he's like two or three years old. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's a great example because Steven Spielberg actually knew, like he did a little like, um, remember how how to manipulate the kid? Yeah. Like he would scare him with like a clown, right? Mm -hmm. And then like take off the mask. And give him a present so that he looked happy. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like he knew how to, how, how to work his, um, actors mm-hmm. while Paul Feig somehow like the one, one of the last moments of the film mm-hmm. is that little David gets off the plane and you see like this wide shot of his mom who's in red and you and you're like all right here we go he's finally gonna see his yeah, mom ex- I thought the same thing and yeah. then he's walking down the strip and his face is David's face is blank yeah I'm like how did Paul Feig look at that cut and say, this is okay? Yeah, seriously. That's not... If you see your mom after going through all after that going on shit, this fucking journey, you'd fucking be bawling and screaming and running. Like sprinted. Yeah. Like, I, I see, like, the Spielberg version of this in my head where the kid's, like, yeah. weeping yeah. and, like, sprinting at his mom. And yeah. it's like... Uh, like I should have God. the I should have like I should be crying at that moment yeah. as an audience member. Yeah. But the thing is, that there was no development to make me even care about it. Much yeah. less even even if he acted better, I could have still had an emotional response to it. Exactly. Yeah. Yet it was so poorly executed, mm-hmm. and I can't believe that Paul Feig decided that was the cut that they wanted to go with. You <laughs> yeah, know, dude. That's the that's the. Uh, like denouement of the movie that's right. how the movie ends and like that's what he i should be tearing up and that's what i, I yeah should, I should absolutely like that, that should have been an incredible moment because like i saw the beats near the end mm-hmm. like kind of the reveals and the little twists and stuff and i was like oh this is like this is good but, but like this should anything. be yeah like i'm not <laughs> feeling anything yeah and it's like i i don't i don't really want to pick on this kid actor because like i really do think that like yeah so much of like directing kids in a movie well, also you're we, directing yeah. them you know exactly and and it also goes to show it goes hand in hand with his other films paul feig's other films that you know that he just doesn't he doesn't know how to direct people he just, yeah. he literally just says this cuts fine and you guys do whatever you want. 
and that's it. Like, I, even with Jim Caviezel, 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 yeah, it just seemed like they recorded him and says, "Hey, Jim, you just kind of do whatever yeah. you're feeling." Yeah, <laughs> and then he was kind of flat too. Jim, yeah, Jim Jim Caviezel's character, and he was supposed to. Have, I mean, I don't know if we talked about way. him, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, well, uh, yeah, I mean, about him, like it's it's weird just going into this from looking at the front of the VHS. I expected a much meatier Caviezel role, and I, I I'm a <laughs> I'm a big Caviezel defender. I think Frequency is a fucking great movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you got a problem with that, you can come fuck with me. Um, but yeah, I, I was disappointed because he's, he's in so very little of this. And, um, I think I caught early on that maybe they were trying to have him be the voiceover person, but I was like, I don't, that's not his voice though. Yeah. I was very confused on who that was. Yeah. And I, I guess mean, it was supposed to be like that. I, don't I, know. I guess, but I mean, that goes back to intent. Like it's, it's his intent isn't known, uh, because he's, he's a bad director. <laughs> So what do you, what do you got for uh, what do you think signature moves here for good old Paul Feig? Um. So yeah, I mean the thing that I just said is definitely one. Uh, he does not have an eye at all. Like he <laughs> like how signature moves are like negative. Yeah, I mean they of kind of <laughs> I don't know, man. They kind of yeah they are when. But it is true. Bad. It's true. That's uh, a signature move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean he doesn't have a good eye for for the medium itself. Like there's so many ways to get, like, I I feel like a lot of the voiceover and um, kind of exposition could be chopped out if you show things in a visual way. Right. And I think that he, I don't know if he's too lazy or Or he disrespects the audience because that's usually what it is. That's, that's a big thing with him too. And you can maybe talk more about how that's another signature moves, but (laughs) Like, he, he doesn't have the eye for, like, making movies and things. Like, for getting a story across in as simple of language as possible, like, like utilizing the medium. Um, and that's really on display, like, in this movie in a big way. Well, just, like, just simple shit. Like, um, just basic film 101 stuff that he just fails at mm-hmm. in, uh, in his films. Like, he does way too many cuts. I think that's a common theme here. Too, too many shots, mm-hmm. and it's like, for me, in a, I guess, in a more uh, sentimental film, you want to drag out uh, the emotion more. You want people to understand, like, you want people to take in the, the image and let it sink in for a bit, yeah. and then emotionally respond to it, mm-hmm. while there was no time in the the way that this was cut um to really process the um, process the emotions that you have and to understand what was happening yeah i mean yeah and on top of that like kind of what i was saying too is that um i mentioned it at the beginning of this and this definitely ties into unaccompanied minors is he he just likes noise too because i think in his mind he thinks if things are moving fast, then people are entertained. Then people are entertained, and people get what I'm fundamentally. Viewing. And and that's why I don't want to go on a tangent here, but that's why Edgar Wright is genius because like he understands that like the quick cuts and all of that like it's 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 what you show people, um, and then he'll linger on something longer if like he wants to get a point across. But like, yeah, Paul Feig doesn't have that eye for film. Like he just yeah. Doesn't. I mean, even Darren Aronofsky like understands like. 
um, how to do quick cuts. Like mm-hmm. with um, Rec Room for a Dream, that had like they had a record for how many like uh, oh, that's cuts, right. right? That's right. That's a really yeah. interesting example. Like it was really intentional, yeah. But it was done effectively, at least. Uh-huh. While Paul Fee just thinks that the audience gets bored and he needs to have something new appear every second. Yeah. And that's like, well, have some intent behind it to convey the story as opposed to just doing it because let's get things moving. Because that's how I feel about his films. Like, let's get things moving. Keep everyone's attention span is so tiny. I think that's how he just extrapolates to his general audience. Like, everyone just can't pay attention at all. Yeah. And so it's like almost anti-Kubrick in that sense. Because Kubrick has such long takes and yeah. you really get to like his zoom outs are yeah. amazing like Kubrick's zoom outs are amazing and yeah. which is funny because the first shot of this film was a zoom out mm-hmm. and it was done so poorly <laughs> well you're you're like you're really like biting at the edges of something I mentioned when we were watching this is yeah. this movie's kind of shitty Barry Lyndon yeah, like, Lyndon. yeah because like in For that sure. movie he's also running from something he's uh, on on this journey through Europe, like mm. stumbling into people um, and getting into these situations, but he had agency. He had a choice. Everything yeah. happened to him, uh-huh. and he knew how to react to it. While David was just like, oh, yeah, yeah he's a, yeah, life. he's like an empty canvas. Shell. Yeah, he's like a ghost whatever. that just kind of wanders through Italy, sort of. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and Barry Lind- Barry Lyndon really like nails that a lot better. <clears throat> where if he stumbles into something like that is going to play out in an interesting way that Due develops to his the own character. character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and uh, that's an adaptation of a book too, right? Right. Very. That's uh, really interesting. The luck of Barry Lyndon. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Uh, so other signature moves. Um, the Paul Fee cameo. Oh, I was thinking the same fucking thing, man. Is Paul Fee cameo is not a signature move, but the way that he did the cameo is, is a signature move. Absolutely. Like, I saw... So, if this is his first movie, I definitely saw uh, the Paul Fee we know today, like, in that scene. And it's such a fucking, so fucking like, stupid. gross, like, masturbatory fucking exercise <laughs> in, like... Like hey hey Greg Greg like his uh his uh, assistant director or whatever his AD <laughs> Who actually like hey run the run the, the camera I'm gonna, I'm gonna take some I'm gonna take some some takes over here I'm gonna <laughs> you know try and come up with some funny jokes uh spoiler alert he doesn't uh and then he has this weird yeah he has this weird scene that probably isn't in the book right <laughs> yeah like it's where him not. and like his like hot American wife or two Americans and their car yeah. breaks down and. Uh, David walks up, and I he forgot what walk, the fuck even happens. I, he just like his their car just breaks down. And they need help. That's yeah. it. And then he <laughs> like Paul Feig like does like some jokes, right? Some yeah. quick cuts of himself doing like a different iteration of the joke. And I uh-huh. forgot what the joke was. I don't think he it was, was like a scusi. Uh, uh, he's trying to like conv- speak Italian when he couldn't or something. Yeah. And he did a bunch of different... He, like, interspliced, like, different takes of him doing the same thing. And it just played off so awful. Yeah, it's so weird. Oh, my God. It's so weird, like, tonally. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fit, like, into this movie at all. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, that's Fellow definitely watching a, a fucking office episode with that. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, really clunky and strange and definitely a signature move from like where he would go uh, in the future. For yeah. Sure. The origins of his <laughs> dumb <laughs> that's, comedy. That's Paul Feig origin right there. Mm. Um, shit. How about the score? Do you know who uh, who uh, uh, did this? I looked it up. Let me see. Because, oh boy. Um, no, I forgot. No, but I remember, uh, I, I do think, here, let me see the paper real quick. Hold on. Okay. I, 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 can, I can say for a fact that the score is absolutely awful. Yeah. It is one of the worst scores Oh, okay, I've yeah, it does say here that he did the score for Highlander 2 uh, and Dancing with the Stars. Well, that's, yep. So, <laughs> you know, pretty good stuff. Pretty good. Oh my uh, god! Yeah, dude. Just, Where do we even god. begin to describe it, though? I don't know, man. Um, just bad. So that's a signature move, probably, right? Bad uh, did, scores. Didn't I on unaccompanied? No, that was a Tim Burton one. Um, well, say, bad scores was. I mean, the company miners wasn't like yeah. particularly great. Well, that one, you, I think, halfway through unaccompanied miners, you said this movie doesn't have a score, huh? And I was like. There's been music playing oh, the been, whole time. I guess my mind is kind but of your like, brain like died halfway. Through. Yeah, like your brain it started down. functioning. Yeah. It just like yeah, it yeah. censored that because it was so whatever. Um, because it was like that typical like well kids kind of score. You yeah. know what? I actually I have a theory about um, composers for uh, uh, movies in that. I think the movie and the director actually play a huge role in the music for a movie because I think I, uh, I've, I've read a lot about how a lot of composers watch a movie a bunch of times through before they do the music. Mm-hmm. And if you think about doing that for Unaccompanied Minors or uh, Planet of the Apes or fucking I Am David, like what you're watching is this really like weird tonal mess yeah and like tone like can directly like i feel like tone in a movie directly relates to the music playing out in that scene and so that's why i think a lot of the times that like bad movies often have like pretty bad scores because like the 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 guy writing the music doesn't know how to score a scene that he doesn't know like what's happening like it just goes back to like a, a director's job you should you should hear that score and then be like no we're not doing that because yeah, just like it with, doesn't um, fit. yeah yeah what was it uh with uh ridley scott and blade runner mm-hmm. right like he had um didn't he have um no 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 it was with uh kubrick and 2001 excuse me and oh, like yeah. they had made that um score for it it was very like um uh, electronic right yeah yeah and cooper was like no we're it not doing fit. that we're doing the classical music uh-huh. and oh boy like the classical music fits it so well exactly and he yeah. knew and i think the age of that of 2001 would have shown if it did have that electronic beats to it yeah you know? exactly and so, he wanted to make it more timeless timeless yeah. exactly so the director's job is like to know like hey man like you like you said on the previous podcast it's tonal control so that's part of it yeah like you said so the director should say hey this is not a good idea to be putting this stupid score in Mm -hmm. you know like you in this movie 
it would shift to kind of um kind of solemn score and then it would do this very jarring like upbeat score kind of folksy sound to it yeah and i was like what the fuck like it just happens on like <laughs> yeah. a, a score like you're not supposed to be attention to like yeah. dinner scene yeah uh with like the oh i think i wrote it down um yeah, the Italian scat dinner scene. Oh yeah, which I my brain already forgot that fucking whole, that whole scene with like the, the girl. Yeah, and like the Italian mom and dad who the look like the hot says, mom. Yeah, um, that like don't come back like at all in yeah. any way or have any purpose at all. Um, I mean, all it all I could possibly derive from that is that oh, people are good. I guess. Because Dave, because David, what happens is that David saves a little girl from a burning building, burning house, and she was tied up in it. Mm-hmm. And apparently, like her brothers decided to tie her up. Why? Why did? Yeah. Why did? Why wasn't there a scene where like the mom said, "You don't believe people are good, David? You're proof that people are good. You saved my daughter." Or like do some shit like that. I don't know. Like yeah, just it, try to. Fix, it was like, there. Like she yeah. said that you're like I owe my life to you and shit like that. But it, but the way. You just thought of that right now, and that's better than what the fucking movie <laughs> It's probably have. in the book or something. I right? don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... Well, and then, like, back to that dinner scene with, like, the Italian scat music. I think another another uh, kind of, like, um, signature move that he has is I feel like he points a camera in a direction, you know, generally where there are actors, and just says, <laughs> just says, have, have fun. Well... We'll montage it. And then that's what he does. And they're like throwing spaghetti at each other. And they're just oh, having man. a grand old time. That reminds me of what I what I put down is that this movie is so lazy. Because it is just filled with um, expositional monologues that are dubbed over the film. And montages... There is, that is so lazy. Yeah, because that's not visual. It's not really visual language. Yeah, he doesn't. You know? Yeah, like that's like he doesn't know how to utilize the medium at all. Yeah, and doesn't know how to tell a story in it. Um, he just wanted to just like let's just have a fun scene where they're all you know just having a good time with the music and we don't have to talk. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> like that's not how that's not how like you. There's no po- there was no point to the scat the scat man scene with the dinner. No, because it was just them just like eating food and having a good time. That's it. Yeah. Even if there, even if there was like a scene at the end with the old lady or something where she was like, like like how many people have you met on your journey and like how many of them were bad people and then it like yeah, caused a moment of reflection. So good. Like, like you contextualize right. it or something like dude's like could have made it 10 shit. times better right just for him to just yeah to have actually a moment think of self-reflection why he about... met all those people and how there is good people there exactly yeah because that have been so much more satisfying but no he just had to meet up with his mom that we hardly knew yeah and i mean we for all we know she could have been a terrible person yeah she we know, we know she's not a communist what does that tell you about her yeah, she's she's a, she's a bad person, a filthy, uh, I filthy don't know, capitalist, filthy capitalist. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, shit, man. Yeah. Do you have any other uh, signature moves? Um, that this movie's bad. Well, 
Yeah, that's that's okay. a signature move. I guess it kind of is that's a, a signature. Little, that is uh, a uh, it's a low blow. Um, I'll say that. Bad cheap shot. Bad child actors. I mean, <laughs> yeah. or bad child direction. I'll say that because I don't want to like shit on a fucking like ten year old kid actor who like like that's what everybody did after. Uh, uh, Phantom Menace is they like destroyed that kid's yeah, life. Yeah, that's true. And it's like he very well could have been a bad actor, but like let's look at like let's place George the blame. Lucas. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like let's not you know let's blame the fucking director of the movie. Um, exactly. And the like we said, well, uh, like we said before, it was the fundamental just misunderstanding of how children are. Yeah, exactly. You know, just not knowing how children it, really are. It's, it's and disrespecting them too. Yeah, yeah, that's that. Like, definitely plays back into it, right? Like, mm. I, I hope Paul Feig doesn't have kids. Oh, you're right. Because <laughs> I feel like he was like, "Oh, you're just a little dumb boy. You're just, you're just dumb, dumb stupid boy, huh? Do you want me to explain everything to you? Let me hold your <laughs> hand for everything, you dummy." <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, I guess that's it for sick moves. What else we got? Speaking of disrespecting children. Um, what do you think Burden would do and if he directed this? Do you think he would disrespect children just as much? Fuck, man. Did you forget again about this segment? I did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> and before we started it, I was like, I'm going to keep that in mind because it always fucks me over every time we get to it. And here we go again. Here we go. Um, man, I really wish I remember more of Big Fish now because I feel like Big Fish is more of a way in on this movie a journey movie yeah Yeah, kind of a journey um has like some like uh kid and parent stuff with like uh him and his dad Mm -hmm. is a big part of that um i think boy i'm supposed to be saying tim burton's war song because i was just gonna say i think that emotionally (laughs) some stuff would hit home a little better um I don't know what you got, well, Adam. What, what, with, with what, what Burden would do? Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess Big Fish would have been a good, good segue. But it's just fucking. I mean, we always kind of go the goth route, don't we? We always just gotta, no. That's that's. I I'm glad that it doesn't this time because we have to like shed that veneer. Um, and just like, <laughs> and I don't know how because that's all he knows, kind of. Um, you get some. How would how would weird specific Tim Burton adapt to making a story about how a kid escapes from? Well, we do maybe on the Willy Wonka level on how he did Willy Wonka. Yeah, yeah. that's not too bad. Um, so the Italian countryside is like Wonka's chocolate factory, but with Jews. <laughs> Jewish is the funniest part about this. Yeah, uh, he's just uh, I, yeah. Th- th- there was no explanation of like why. I guess his mom, his mom's just not communist. That's it. Yeah. Um, I think he, it would have been kind of, I guess the same sort of thing. When he's trying to escape the prison, except way more Dutch angles. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that okay. Yeah, I think the prison would have been like um, constructed sets. The lighting yes. would have been very, <laughs> uh, very like strange and different and off-putting, and um, and yeah, then the guard would be like in his face, like, "What are you doing, little boy?" 
really? Yeah, it would have been more stylized. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because he has his, like, little stylish, uh, um, you know, moments every now I just imagine, like, a guard, like, would you like this lollipop? <laughs> nope. That's not for you. Yeah. That's for me. <laughs> like, just, like, stupid gags like that shit. And the old lady at the end would have been Helena Bottom Carter. And then, uh, and then she would have gone fucked by Johnny Depp. Just, yeah, Johnny just, Depp would have come in. No, 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 no. Johnny Depp would have been. No, Helena Bonacar would have been his mom. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Depp would have been the hero, Jim Caviezel. Jim Caviezel. Yeah. Uh, and he would have oh, died God, yeah. for the kid, right? Absolutely. It would have been. Yeah, he would have been Johnny Depp for sure. <laughs> it's really hard to plug Tim Burton into this fucking this uh, mold that we have uh, made here. Mm-hmm. Um, the kid would have been. Uh, Oh, what what like kid actors has he used before? The kid from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Yeah, probably, right? Freddie Highmore? Uh, is that his name? Yeah, that's his name, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it's his name. Um, yeah. And he would have been a much... Because that kid's a much better actor than this kid. He's better at directing kids. This isn't even like his version anymore. I'm <laughs> no, just, just like... like just... I'm grasping at every possible thing I can. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know what the fuck his version would have been. Well, that's why it's like Charlie and Chaga Factory is probably the most like close thing because it's kind of just him going through a factory, like a child going through a factory. So you think yeah. it'd be maybe more um, fantastical, like kind of um, yeah, more I wacky. Absolutely. I think that would be kind of interesting to see, like just go the pure fantasy route, like fuck the realism. Mm-hmm. Let's just, um, in fact. This would be kind of cool. I don't know. If, I don't know if Burton would do this. Yeah, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he will. But like, first, set it up where you don't even know that this kid is like coming from a concentration camp. He's just like running through this fantastical <laughs> world okay, and going yeah. through all these hijinks. And all these, it's kind of like Alice in Wonderland sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's just like running into people and stuff. And then uh, somehow loop it back to where it's just his imagination because he's like wanting to yeah. replace everything. Dude, of the that's horrors it. Of the, that's totally it. You know what? Yeah. Copyright Adam Dauphin. I'm going to make that movie because that sounds really cool. No, that's very good. <laughs> I feel like there's been that reminds me of something that I can't quite put my finger on because he's using a child's like perspective to like yeah um, he deal takes with it, he it. takes it more like insular and like internal yeah of like the kids like running from it like in his mind almost and meeting these uh, so like maybe like almost then I guess um, fucking Wizard of Oz almost in a sense like yeah. like he's going on this fantastical journey but these characters that he's meeting have. Um, like real life kind of counterparts. Yeah, wasn't didn't Big Fish do this sort of thing? I don't know if it was Big Fish. I can't remember. I feel like dude, some I, film I has done this. Right? Some I film has so done this where you have all the characters that are like these creatures and like kind of fantastical. Yeah. And then at the end like you see the same actors and there's like real people. I don't know what film has It done. might it might be Wizard of Oz, dude, because that's what happens at the end is you it might realize be Wizard that of it's Oz. a family. Yeah. Right. So that could have been the interesting way that Maybe Tim Burton could do it. But yeah. that would have been ten times better in this movie, I think. It would have been, yeah, it would have been interesting as fuck to see yeah. that instead of this, I think. Because, uh, like, the officers could be, like, little gremlins or something. And, yeah. You know, like, I don't know. That would have been cool. That would have been, been actually really fun. And then, see. like, the twist at the end is you find out that he is just coming from this, like, real yeah, world, concentration, concentration camp. camp and yeah. then 
Ooh, yeah. man, that's really interesting. That's actually a cool like yeah. idea for a film. Fuck. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. good, man. Yeah. That came out all right after uh, some trials and tribulations. <laughs> I just don't know if, if Tim Burton would do that. Yeah, I don't uh, <laughs> Maybe I don't he know would do that. that much credit. Maybe he would do that, but not effectively. Not effectively, yeah. Not in yeah. an entertaining way, so he'd fuck up the not, idea. Not in... Oh, man. That's more of like a... Man, Del Toro would fucking slay that idea, I feel like. Actually, that is more of a Del Toro. Because that's kind of Pan's, Pan's Labyrinth. Labyrinth. yeah. That's kind of Pan's Labyrinth we kind of described. Del Toro, uh, where you at? Hook where us, you at? Hire, hire us. What up? We were going to we'll be your... Write that script. We'll write it up. Um, so, yeah, this... It came out pretty good. I think uh, yeah, in, in relative to the prior three... Episodes. Yeah, so I think that's a little bit more solid than the other ones. Stinkerouskis. And blame that on not having rumple schnapps. <laughs> rumple mints schnapps. Yeah, no rumple mints this time. <laughs> Fortunately. <laughs> Probably needed to get through this fucking time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's um let's uh do historical context. 2003. So kind of close to Unaccompanied Miners, right? Just a little bit. Oh, yeah, the company Miners was what? 2006, um, right? I think it was 2006. That sounds right. Yeah, 2006. Um, yeah, I mean, I was, I don't know what month this came out, but like 12, 13. Uh, about the kids' age, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually you in the film. It was me in the film. Um, I am David. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is not as funny as I I, I, I am taking it. As your I, laugh, as your laugh be, intended. Because no, it is because that's really funny, but it's not that it's not that clever. <laughs> yeah, because this movie has lowered the bar so low on what quality is. Um, I won't laugh at anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't have much for historical context, really. I mean, I, I I find it interesting that this movie was marketed well. So it kind of goes back to like who is this oh, movie we ta- for? Well, right? well, we talked about. Yeah. What you said, I guess we covered a little bit of historical context at the beginning of the co- the cast because you said um, the Nar- the Chronicles of Narnia thing. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of within that realm of like kids movies and also tackling like serious like historical events. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I I don't have the information in front of me, but like I feel like uh, maybe the Chronicles of Narnia like led the way, like that Chronicles of Narnia money paid for this i bet because it was still walden media mm-hmm. and then paul feig was you know up hot off the and, uh freaks and geeks and somehow they yes. thought well you know i guess this comedy guy who made Dude, tv shows decides to do this he, yeah he like adapted this book we can we can turn this into a movie and i don't think walden media is even still around dude but it is interesting i bet <laughs> i bet like a producer or two like at walden media was like a big freaks and geeks fan and like that's probably how he well, got. I can start. imagine Paul Feig being a really charming person if you talk to him. Yeah, and I think that's how he gets all these jobs. Yeah, and why everyone likes him because he's just like great he's to very work with. Because that's how direct. Well, I mean, that's how most. Because like with Kubrick, um, um, what's his name? Uh, Douglas. Uh, Kirk Douglas. Uh, Kirk Douglas. Yeah. Um, Kirk Douglas like believed in Kubrick. And Kurt Douglas was, like, established in Hollywood. Yeah. And Kubrick is this person who's so... He's very, very true to his vision. Mm-hmm. He's, like, a true artist. And if Kurt Douglas didn't stick up for Kubrick... Yeah. Then Kubrick probably wouldn't have meet in Hollywood. 
That's you know, true, because like yeah. Kubrick is not like a fun person to work with. Like he's very demanding. Yeah. And for I mean, it works out like he makes masterpieces of a film. Mm-hmm. But it goes to show that like people who are just like fun to work with get jobs because exactly that. They're yeah. able to talk to producers, they're able to work with actors or uh, not that they're good at making the actors, yeah. you know, amazing, um, but that they're just charming to they, producers. They know how to play to the room, pretty much. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, that has an interesting. Which is is like, to... which is this is a good point for in our entire podcast here. Yeah, just that whole aspect of the outside like perspective yeah. of like producers and directors. You know, like when you look at. Kubrick, he's so um, true to his vision and will not sell for anything else. Mm-hmm. And then, and that's usually the type of director that I like. Like, mm-hmm. Nicholas Winding Refn, like, he's not, he's going to do the film that he wants to do. Yeah. You know, no apologies at all. Yeah. But with, like, someone like Paul Feig, it's just kind of like, oh, everyone likes him, I guess, like, in Hollywood circles, so let's give him, yeah. give him stuff. Well, and then, yeah, and then we've compared him to J.J. Abrams a lot, and then that's kind of, like, his uh, exactly. his persona, too. Exactly. It's, like, everything I've heard is, like, like that's kind of how he's gotten as far as he did. Really nice he knows, Yeah, like, he's really kind and, like, reads the room well and, like, is very kind of charismatic and stuff and gets everybody excited. It makes excited. people want to work for them. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'd say it definitely, like, factors in. So that's what's so interesting is that, like, for me... I feel like the when we go back to like auteur stuff, mm-hmm. um, I want the complete vision of a director, you know. Yeah. And of course, like it's kind of like even David uh, Finch said that like auteur is bullshit because so many people work on it. But yeah, I mean, let, let's be real. There is actually a a, a vision. There's a person steering the ship. Yeah, yeah. Still, mm-hmm. um, and I believe that the director should be in like full control of that aspect and it does get like as we go through these seasons you know having this kind of understanding of the complexity behind mm-hmm. like directors it is still it, it, i mean it's a little it's a little bad for me to insult them completely because mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure paul fake's like a, a nice guy yeah I'm, I'm i'm sure uh tim bird's probably all right but it's just like it's just interesting to like to see that aspect as well because i never really thought too much Uh, about the whole yeah you don't really think about the i think the politics yeah yeah, pretty much behind the scenes uh Mm -hmm. moves on the chessboard being Mm -hmm. being played but at the end of the day i still take it as i am of i am part of the audience i'm going to watch this film and I don't care on how much work was put into it because most of the t- most most of the time I'm watching this because I paid money to watch it. Yeah, <laughs> most exactly. Of the time. So it's like I'm always going to take it from that critical standpoint. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Not that I will disregard the politics at all, mm-hmm. but still. Yeah, I mean it plays like an interesting role in the in mm-hmm. the background for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because like when I was talking to John Casares, who's a he's been on the podcast a couple of times, and he was saying like he can't completely bash 
um, movies because he's worked on, like he's helped film movies. So he knows yeah. that someone, someone somewhere in that film worked their ass off to yeah. get that product. And I, you know, I get it. I get it. But I, I still, I still think that, um, you almost have some to be objective. Mm. Even though watching the movie itself is subjective, you have mm. to be objective uh, and like separate yourself from kind of all uh, of the knowledge of that. And right. Take it as it is, basically you as like a to. final as a critic thing. at least. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. Like yeah. take or even just as a viewer. Like if you're, I mean, if you're watching a Transformers film and you thought like you had fun, then you know more power to you. Like how can anyone take that away from you? Yeah. So. Yeah, so um, I guess we can we can do well. Is there anything you, else you want to share about I am David? Anything you wrote down before we do some closing arguments? I'm down to get to the the. You just want to go straight into man. it? Yeah. So, um, well, I mean, I, I can go do you first. Want, you sure? Yeah. All right. If you want it. Um, I am David is a significant step up in quality from unaccompanied minors. Um, it's, it, it's, it begins very competently directed and made, um, even if it meanders uh, quite a bit and doesn't have much of a purpose. I really feel like the last uh, 30 to 40 minutes have some very good stuff going on, um, mostly with the... Uh, Edition of that that actress Sophie, that talked about. Right. Sophie, yeah, the character Sophie, um, yeah, she just adds such a like brightness to the movie, and I, 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 she has like some very good like lines of dialogue too that you know Paul Fee did write this uh, film adaptation of the of script a book. of of a book. A so did fucking Kubrick. How much of that was his, right? Um, but, but he yeah. used visual language to convey it. Uh, okay, uh, this is my moment, asshole. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> just, just don't um, be bashing Cooper. Hey, I, I, I know. Um, and yeah, I mean, I mean, since it's kind of my role to defend uh, Paul Fee here, um, I, I think that yeah, there are some moments at the you know near the end, kind of in the orchard when she's painting David, and then of course in her house too, where they're just where they're just talking, and like Paul Fee actually does like let the camera linger every now and then and like gives them a few moments uh you know to talk to each other and connect and like we actually kind of start to understand like the theme of the movie because she's asking him or she's telling him like you know there are good people in the world uh people are mostly good there are definitely always going to be bad people um let that like scene where there where she tells him that um uh that like you don't know if somebody's going to be good or bad but you have to like hope that they will be like a, like that scene it's it's like very uh it's been done like many times before but it still like really worked for me um and i thought that was pretty solid and so uh based on the merits of the last uh you know a few dozen minutes of this movie um it's a uh, pretty pretty good work there Fee. pretty solid <laughs> stuff uh made some good casting decisions uh, with uh, Sophie and uh, good work you made a good you made a fucking great movie Paul Fee it's very good I can't believe you you, you said those words <laughs> I can't believe like even even if you're kidding right now because I know you are yeah. I don't know how you could somehow stay in character for well I've already lost that. my fucking soul Adam so what else 
what else is there to lose? You should win an Academy Award for that performance. <laughs> so uh, Oscars. Uh, oh wait, the Oscars won't nominate you because you're a white male. Oh, that's right. I don't I'm think you'll ever. Never again will a white <laughs> man be nominated. <laughs> Even though Gary Oldman's gonna fucking win this. Probably. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, this movie's not good. It's a bad movie. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna just say that the the structurally this movie's horrible it is, is super god awful um the flashbacks that david endures and is supposed to like kind of um hint at the mystery um sure but you just don't even give a shit about that mystery throughout the whole film um the tonal shifts are jarring it goes from trying to be serious to trying to be funny. And I emphasize the word trying because neither of those things worked in this fucking film. Um, too many goddamn cuts. Uh, Paul Feig is a very impatient man. He just keeps filming. And I feel like he opened up iMovies on Apple and decided to just drag all the scenes that he filmed and just intercut them about a second each and just keep going. And... You just don't have time to breathe and process any of the things going on. The kid is Solid Snake for some reason. I don't know why. Why is he a spy? It's stupid. I don't know why he was, he was, really, cl- he was really clever at evading officers. There was no payoff. This kid should have been shot. I don't know. It was, it was really stupid. Um, I wrote when Paul Feig did the, uh, his little cameo, I wrote, Paul Feig needs to die. Because the comedy was so awful in that shit, um, and I, I'm sorry, Paul Feig. It's just not, it just didn't work. It didn't work for me. Um, the the events in this film are so incredibly random. He, this kid walk bumps into people, and it's a, the from what I gathered after thinking about it, it's supposed to teach that people are good, but. David doesn't learn jack shit from interacting with these people. He just says, I need to go to Denmark. That's about it. It's There's no fucking character development whatsoever. Because the kid is just a black hole of, of, of acting. It's just, it's not, it's... The thing is, he needs, he needs some Terrence Malick internal monologues. I think that would have worked a little bit more. And probably the book had internal monologues. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it's just like you just don't know what what this kid is going through or what he even gives a shit about what's happening around him. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said before, one of the worst things about this film is monologue, monologue exposition and montages. Really fucking bad. Lazy, 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 lazy filmmaking. God awful. Because it's just like you just want to get through this goddamn film and hit the 90 minute mark. And which it did. It hit 90 minutes. It didn't. It didn't. Mit, it didn't uh, go over or under. He's like, I got the ninety minutes. Let's go. Let's fucking pump the, pump this check. shit out. Done. <laughs> you know. And um, I will give it to you that you know that uh, Sophie was the best part. But the only reason I think it that that was the best part is because everything else was so shit that this was a this was a um, this was like drinking salty water in the middle of a fucking desert you know it's like you'll just take whatever the fuck you'll get yeah and she's like that actress is so charming so it's like oh thank god like yeah 
then that's the only, and I feel like that's the only reason why we like that part so much. Because I feel like if you put that competent scene in some other part of uh, some other film, yeah, it, it would it would still work, but not like to the to the point where we were just like, oh, it thank you. Yeah, it wasn't like catching a breath after yeah. your breath for thirty fucking <laughs> yeah, minutes. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I hate this movie. It's not good. <laughs> it's a bad movie. Don't see it, and I bet you won't see it. You it's not probably, free. It doesn't um, seem like anybody has seen this movie. Yeah, this is like we said. This is the this is the movie that um, your your uh, your sixth grade history teacher pops pops on because they had too many uh, beers last night, right? Yeah, and, says, and then falls Kids. asleep in the classroom. Yeah. yeah, watch watch I Am David and learn about the communist in Bulgaria, which was hardly emphasized in this movie. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's another reason. Let's hear a little bit more about the politics going on. You know, like, what's the problem? Why didn't we know more about the horrors in the concentration camp? This movie is terrible. It's not good. (laughs) And I'm glad that I chose this one. Yeah. It was a good thing. Yeah. So... I feel like I ripped that movie so hard. Yeah, you did, dude. (laughs) I feel like I just got done watching, like, Hitler... Make a fucking like <laughs> speech to fucking Poland. So everyone's fired up and ready to go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah Paul go. gonna get killed by somebody who listens to this podcast now. Smacking, kill a Z, kill a Z, Paul Fig. Does Paul Fig? So inspired. Yeah. You were inspired, man. You were on a fucking tear just then. Yeah, um, dude. I was feeling. I was feeling. Yeah, this movie flow. is uh, is really, really not good. Um, I agree with everything you said. <laughs> I want to. I want that to be clear too. Um, and so people don't riot against you when they're on their yeah, exactly. Paul Feig. Uh, when Paul Feig's body is hanging. From- <laughs> I'm not gonna even go down that road. That's bad. <laughs> like Mussolini. Really fucking suit for the season. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, hell still. Does, anything really goes now from what for what That's true. That's yeah. true. Um, you got any other closing thoughts or any other? Uh, no, man. I am like worn out from that. Like yeah, good speech. You're like sweating. Um, <laughs> yeah, guys. Per usual, uh, go follow Sticker Fridge or like whatever on Facebook and uh, on Twitter and all that. Watch mm-hmm. our videos. Uh, you know, check out all the other podcasts, fan films. Uh, Blake is the killer. Uh, Revenge of the sequel. Infinity. Countdown Infinity. to Infinity. Infinity. Right? Countdown to Infinity. Yeah. Countdown to Infinity. I, was, I kept thinking Infinity Gauntlet. I think, uh, yeah, you'll probably hear uh, maybe both of us on that maybe at some point. I don't if we know. can work that out. If we can somehow like, if we can, like, get out of physically, first, yeah. yeah, if we can get out of here, kind of figure out a way. Well, we uh, do like the telepathic thing in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, When Nature Calls. I haven't seen it, so I don't oh know. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> I, hope, I hope the devil can, like, just hook us up with, like, yeah. a VHS copy of that. <laughs> oh, shit. We'll if see. If we've been good boys. Yeah. yeah. If we, yeah, if we earn it, then that'd be great. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, guys, otherwise, thanks for listening. Uh, hope you had a great New Year's and have a good uh, 2018. Yeah. It's uh, scumby. It's starting off right. You yeah, know, still in hell. Start off right. Yeah, kicking it off in a, <laughs> in a big way down here in H E Double Hot. Yeah, big, and I just want to say, you know, if 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 you guys are going to church, you know, maybe maybe talk, maybe uh, 
Maybe you tell, tell Jesus, hey, help out your buddies, Brendan Adam, you know? Yeah, say I got a couple <laughs> buds uh, broadcasting from hell somehow. Um, maybe you know, maybe uh, work his little Jesus magic, I don't know. Yeah, work it out, up. guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll catch you next week, everybody. See ya. See ya. Or am